You are listening to On the Shoulders of Dwarves, a weekly podcast about role-playing games and role-playing gamers. On the Shoulders of Dwarves. Hello and welcome to On the Shoulders of Dwarves, a weekly podcast about role-playing games and the people who play them. My name is Ran Aviram. My name is Uri Lifshitz. Hello. And today we will talk about initiative. That is, the order in which we act during action scenes. More or less. We'll go through several systems and subsystems of structured gameplay and we will try to understand what are they doing to us? How do they make us behave around the table? And why you might want to consider using some of them in your games, even if it means replacing your current one. But first, we should ask why is it important? Why should we even determine who goes when? First, because sometimes we just want to. Sometimes we have ourselves and goblins, and the goblins want to hurt us, and we want to hurt the goblins, or maybe just not get hurt by the goblins. And it's really important to know who goes first, because if the goblins go first, we will get hurt. So I hope they won't go first. But that's the most boring reason. It's important, it's important, but I think that initiatives, even more so, determines the pace of what's going on. It's the cinematic frame. If we imagine our mind's eye as a sort of camera, a video camera, and it surveys the battlefield, whatever the camera is now looking at, that's what's currently on initiative. That's what's currently happening. So, for example, if you remember from the Lord of the Rings movie, there's a specific scene, a specific fight scene, inside Moria, inside the mines, where there's a troll rushing into a small room. A after cave troll. Exactly. And there's a troll, and it's a small room, and all of the party of adventurers are trying to fight it and escape it because some of them are just hobbits. And that scene is awesome. It's so awesome that I keep thinking about it whenever I think about a fight scene because I would love to have my fights like that scene. But in some systems, for example, D&D, that is almost impossible because the frame, when we look at it in that sort of scene, always shows several people doing several things at the same time. While in D&D, that can never happen because when it's your turn, you act. And when it's my turn, I act. And by act, we mean a lot of things. I can move, I can cast a spell, I can take something out. I do all of this in my own little world, and then you do your thing in your own little world, and that's not a very dramatic pacing. So there are initiative systems that allow us to do something else. This is one of the main drawbacks of having any turn-based mechanic. Yes. Things are not happening all at once as much as we would love them to, and there are some systems who aspire to do exactly that. Of course, there's many, many drawbacks to this. Everyone doing... Everything at the same time mean redundancy, yes. meaning yes. Uh, we all shoot at the troll at the same time and the first person actually killed it and now we're all just wasting ammunition, etc. Also, around the table, it's, it's a mess. If everyone can just shout out in real time what they're doing, that's not how you can run a game. We must have some structure. The question is, what kind of structure? And let's, let's talk a bit about that. But before we go down to actual structure and system, I just want to add another something to the pile. One of the questions which I've never considered was, who tracks the initiative? I've 
never actually thought about this because the answer was apparent. The DM tracks the initiative. I'm saying DM and not GM because I'm specifically talking about D&D for a moment. The reason I'm talking about this is because of something you did, Eran, about 10 years ago. We were playing D&D and all of a sudden Eran just let someone else handle the initiative for the combat. And I remember sitting there stunned because for me, tracking initiative was one of the holy duties of the DM. This is something that you do to obfuscate from the players some of the information. Who goes yes. next? We don't know. It's the, the, the tension, the battle. What is going on here? And how many combatants are there that we haven't encountered yet? Are there archers waiting on the balcony? Are there hidden ninjas behind the trash can? Etc., etc. But the very fact that someone would delegate that responsibility to a player made a huge mental shift for me. It got me asking, okay, what other GM responsibilities can be delegated, which I've never considered, because I consider them to be the GM responsibility. And I should note, uh, you can still keep this tension of, wait, is there someone else around? When do they act? Etc. Even if a player keeps track of the initiative. Because as a GM, you can always say, wait, at initiative 10, I now insert, and now suddenly someone new appears. But from now on, the player will keep track of it and will keep track of the cycle of when initiative 10 comes around again. It's the same with the uh, armor class, by the way. Many GMs avoid giving the armor class of creatures that the pieces face because they want to keep some sort of tension. How is it it's going to be for me to hit, etc.? But after you hit like once or twice, I always say the AC because from now on, they got it, we understand, it's really high, okay, if we now know that it's exactly 21, the players can help me keep track of it, and I no longer need to always check my notes and compare to their number. They can tell me, ah, I got 21, I hit it. Yeah, it speeds things up. Exactly. Okay, enough chit-chat, let's go and talk about initiative. And what better place to start than the classic? Let's talk about D&D and Pathfinder. The games where you roll a d20, add something to it, and that number is the holy number. Yes, uh, and then you cycle through them, and sometimes your position on the initiative track can shift a bit, usually simply to the next person. I mean, in essence, once you roll the initiative, the number no longer matters, only the order in which we play. Even if you're ready in action, you're ready it until someone acts or immediately before someone acts, etc. I should note that in earlier days of D&D, like in the first edition, whatever that is exactly, there was a very different way to all initiative. Um, you had your side and they had their side, and we acted by order of ranged missiles, and then melee, and then spellcasting, something like that. And both sides did the same thing at the same time. And in each side, who acted when didn't matter. It was just you against us, and we rolled initiative as a side with the D6 compared to the D6 of our rival. It was weird. There was a very solid fundamental logic behind it, which was, well, range weapon can hit you in range, so they should be resolved first. Mm. Then melee, because spells takes time, and it gives all the fighter on both sides that moment where everyone is trying to get to the other side's wizards and spellcasters to stop them from casting their spells. And at the end, if you fail to do so, magic was unleashed and magic was destructive. You really had to optimize 
for that initiative, which I loved because it gave you that sense of, okay, I need to have a good archer to take out the enemy spellcaster mm. before they do something amazing. Pathfinder 2nd Edition does something interesting because in D&D uh, &D and Pathfinder 1, the thing that you add to the initiative role is always just your dexterity and any other number that gets resolved there. Like there might be some feats that just say you get plus two to initiative. But in Pathfinder 2nd Edition, the skill that you add to initiative is determined by the circumstances, but what is currently happening. Like, for example, if you begin combat by moving around stealthily, uh, then you can roll stealth for your initiative. But if you begin combat by intimidating someone, you might be required to roll intimidation. And that is kind of awesome because it makes initiative not just the order of things, but what you do actually influences your order of things. Again, this is of course just for the first round of combat because from that moment on, we return to just the order of things as they are, the numbers no longer matter. Shadowrun is interesting because while it does have numbers, the numbers do matter. You get an initiative score, which uh, you roll by a number of D6s, because everything is Shadowrun. Everything is, is D6s. Yes, it's D6s. And the number is determined by the space in which you act. Like, if you are acting within cyberspace, you will roll a different number of D6s, because the skill will be different than if you are acting in physical space. Because in physical space, it's your wits and your dexterity that determines how quick you are, but in virtual space, it really is more of your cyber deck and your programming ability determines how fast you are able to act. But everyone acts on the same ladder. And here's the shtick. Once you act, you deduct 10 from your initiative score. And then if there's still a number there, you will act again. In other words, if you got a 12, you will act again at 2 but you won't act again at minus eight because everything ends at zero. But this means that during each round, and by the way, you re-roll initiative each round, but during each round, you may be able to act several times and maybe a lot more times than your opponent. Because if, for example, you are using cyberspace security software or whatever to try and attack the drone that is currently attacking you in physical space, and you are super duper quick, you might be able to act like once or twice before the drone even acts once. That's kind of awesome and it gives you a feeling of power, real power, just through the initiative role. Because the ability to act several times, <gasps> there's nothing like it. The next system I want to talk about is Exalted, which is a system that I've never seen since, probably because it's a bit too granular for most tables. The concept is this. Rolling initiative is fine and dandy, but the really interesting thing is what you choose to do with your action, because every action you do will have a speed attached to it. So if I do something really, really quick, it will have a speed of like four. And if it takes a long time, it will have a speed of like seven. But nothing ever will have a speed below three. And when I do something, I remember this speed and then Combat continues. It continues to the next tick. Tick. Now tick, tick. I will act in speed minus one actions. And does anyone else get to act in this specific tick? No. We continue to the next one. Tick. Now I will get to act in speed minus two actions until we get to my speed. Which means that I get to act every number of ticks equal to the speed of the action that I choose to do. 
So if I attack with a sword and it has um, a speed of four, I will attack and then four ticks pass and then I attack again and then four ticks passed. But during that time, maybe someone was able to attack three times because they attack with a dagger and there are only three ticks between each attack of a dagger. Or maybe someone only managed to have an action once because they are casting a spell and it takes seven ticks to cast a spell. This is both awesome because you really feel like combat is super dynamic and what you choose to do will really influence what is happening next and you feel like a bunch of ninjas trying to outmaneuver each other and if you choose to make an action that has a speed of five compared to a speed of four, that means a lot. But on the other hand, you need to keep track of everything and it's a bit fiddly. One of the only things I remember from my exalted game was that we always change the initiative system i really like this i i enjoy this and there are ways to keep track like there's um a tick clock a that you place clock, in the middle yes yes that you place in the middle of the table and it only have seven points on it because no speed can ever be above seven so you, you don't need anything above seven and you just move it around and you place little icons of who is acting in which tick to come. So you just, if you are currently at tick three and I'm acting in four ticks, I place myself next to tick seven. And But still, that's, that's, uh, there's a feeling of um, accounting going around that is at the same time fighting against the, the feeling of awesome dynamic ninjas. The next system tries to circumvent this, and it's a system that very much resembles Exalted in the spirits of the setting, Phoenix Dawn Command. It's a weird little game, which you might not have heard about. There was a Kickstarter a few years back, but I'm not sure you can even get it this day. It's all about cards. The system itself uses cards, not dice, and the initiative system is pretty awesome. There's a special card called the Torch, and when combat begins, one of the players get it. That means they can now act, and when they no longer need to act, they've done their action, they pass the torch to someone else, some other player, and then they act. This player can't pass the torch back to the first player, but they can pass it to anyone else. When do the enemies act? Between these passing of torches. Like, for example, if an enemy has a speed of three, that means that Every three passing of torches, every three actions of the players, the enemy will get to act. So you're thinking to yourself, that means that the enemies act a lot less than the players do. Yes, but there's also speed of one, there's also speed of two, and there are also many different enemies in the same combat. But that means that combat is hectic because no one is really sure what is happening now. While you are generally aware that the GM has keeps cycles of when someone acts, you're not always on top of it, because a lot of the time the players are too busy thinking of how do we act together as best as we can, because I'm able to make almost any of you, my friends, act now immediately after me. So let's do something together. Let's create a synergy. And that's, that's awesome. That's great. The next system I want to talk about is Towers or Genesis, the dice, the funky dice system from Fantasy Flight Games, which is great. And I've been using it in my Warhammer games for years, and we've always really loved it. It's sort of a combination between a lot of the things we talk about thus far. First of all, yes, you roll initiative at the start of combat and only at the start of combat. But you can choose which initiative skill to use because there are two. 
there's cool and there's vigilance. Cool is for keeping your cool. Vigilance is for when you're surprised and stuff like that. So first of all, that's nice. Having two niche skills, that's nice. I like it. The results, you get a number of successes, become slots into which each PC or NPC can be inserted once per round. Or in other words, if, for example, you got three successes and another player got two successes, then you'll be acting at initiative three and at initiative two. We're counting from up to down. But which of you will act, that depends on you. you. You choose. These are slots for player characters. And if the enemy got two slots at initiative one and one slot at initiative two, then the enemy will get to act at whatever slot the enemy chooses. But always after the players. So, for example, if the players got uh, initiative two and I got initiative two as an enemy, the player will always act first. Whoever player gets to fill that specific slot. That's awesome because it allows for synergy because I will act first and then you will act second, etc., etc., while still keeping things pretty straightforward and, and easy. We always know who will get to act next, uh, a friend or a foe, but we're not sure who. And so there's some suspense with every turn passing, and that's, that's great. That's fun. A very simple and system that I've come to adore is from Conan D20. It goes like this. All of the pieces get to act in whatever order they want, and then all of the NPCs get to act at whatever order they want. The only difference is if the GM spends a Doom token, which is a currency that the GM has to activate all sorts of uh, nefarious abilities, and then a specific NPC can act before the players. And that's it. That's initiative in Conan. Amazing. That's amazing because... You, as a player, you get really excited toward any combat because you know you're going to do awesome stuff. That's the first thing that happens in a combat. You do awesome stuff. Oh, yes. And again, you get to synergize if you want to. You can act together in whatever order you want. But there's always the suspense of, will the GM decide to spend a Doom token to make one of his, like, for example, maybe uh, archers shoot at us before we get to act? It's very heroic because the heroes always act first. We always have a chance to find cover. We always have a chance to strike first, etc. And yet, sometimes bad things happen. It's very, very cinematic. The main hero of the movie yes. never <laughs> gets injured until he does. And that's usually the sign <laughs> exactly, that, exactly. okay, we have, a, we have a badass over here. Something else. If I remember correctly, some villains have a unique ability to act. Uh, without spending a doom. And that's also one of those big signs. Exactly, it's the bosses. There is also an issue of you can continue your action. You have a, like a momentum, yeah. Momentum points in which if I take off someone's yes. head, uh, you and everyone else. other enemies are looking dumbfounded. I can capitalize on that and continue my action and do more stuff because I've done something awesome. The next system is interesting. It's the one role engine, or yeah. or as it's called, and it's called this way because everyone just roll once at the same time, and that's the entire round, and your actions, and your speed, everything at the same moment. It's weird, but it goes like this. First of all, and this is really important, everyone declare what they are trying to do. You can declare at the same time, or if it's really important, you declare by the order of one of your statistics. Uh, it's called sense. It's the statistics of, uh, you know, how, how perceptive you are. But you do it from low to high. That is, the one that is least aware of the environment declares first, 
and the one that is most aware gets to hear what everyone else declared and only then declare their own action. Then everyone roll their dice based on what they declared. You do it at the same time. You can do it one after the other, but it doesn't matter because we have to compare everything. It's always D10s, that's the main thing of O, and the number of dice is always between 2 and 10. And you are looking for, and you're looking for pairs, or even more. That is, you're looking for like 3 and 3, or a 4 and 4 and 4. And there are two things you're looking at. First is how wide the result is. Wide is the number of numbers that you got of the same number. That is, if you got... A four and a four and a four, you got three fours, so it's the wide, so the width is three. The height is the number itself, so the height is four. Height is how strong your effect is, how powerful it is, and width is how quick it is. So if you got, for example, five numbers of something, five uh, twos, it might be a really weak attack, but it will be the first attack before everyone else. It's weird. <laughs> it's strange. But apparently, I haven't played myself, but apparently it works well. It isn't as fiddly as it might sound now that I describe it, because what actually happens is you just roll some dice and you compare numbers. And it's really straightforward. And everyone is doing it at the same time, so you don't have to wait for someone else's turn. That's interesting. Savage Worlds is probably the quickest method that still uses some randomizer. I mean, Conan is the quickest method, but in Savage Worlds there's still some randomizer, and it's cards. Everyone draw a card from the same deck, and you just go by the order of cards. From aces down to twos, with, um, several, with some suits being stronger than others, uh, by, by the way that poker always goes, which is... I don't remember. Clubs before hearts? I don't remember. It's, it's the opposite of the alphabetical order. Yeah, and of course, some feats allow you to draw two cards, or you can draw a card and switch it. I've been using it for a really long time, and, and it's great, at least for us, because you get new initiative at every round, so it's always exciting and always uh, unpredictable. And then again, it doesn't take long, because you don't need to add anything. You don't need to roll. You just get a card, and you immediately know when you act. And sometimes you get a joker, and that's awesome. So I like it. It works very well for Savage Worlds. The next system is Mouse Guard, and that Mouse specific guard. mechanic is based on Burning Wheel, but I am unaware of exactly how it works in Burning Wheel, so I'll talk about what I know for Mouse Guard. It's the most narrative-structured mechanic we've talked about so far, because it goes in three rounds, always three rounds, and then the conflict will end depending on how much you manage to deplete the resources of the enemy and keep your own. At the start of the fight, you don't roll initiative, you roll for your... I'm, I'm not sure about the specific terminology, but I'm quite sure it's resolve. You roll for your resolve, the enemy rolls for their resolve, and if by round three you manage to make them lose all of their resolve, then you won. If you manage to make them lose only half of their resolve, You've won, but not completely. And for example, none of you managed to make anyone lose any significant amount of resolve. It's sort of a tie, and you sort of retreat, or you will have to restart the entire conflict in a different arena, in a different sort of way. 
Now, what do you do each round? Each combatant has four cards. They choose one of them in secret, and then you compel the cards. The cards match specific actions like feint or uh, attack or defend, and the interactions between them will cause one of you probably to lose some resolve. It's interesting. I like the fact that you compare cards. It makes the fight both uh, a strategic sort of thing. I mean, you need to think and outmaneuver your opponent. But then again, the fact that it only takes three rounds and exactly three rounds, and that what you are attacking is not your enemy, but their capacity to win the fight in a story, in a narrative way, that's a bit weird for me, at least. And so far, I, I haven't managed to play this in a satisfying manner and understand what is going on. The next system is Apocalypse World. Apocalypse World! And in Apocalypse World, there's no initiative. So that's the easiest so far. No Apocalypse World game that I've seen so far uses any sort of structured action scene system that is different from the normal flow of play, from what is called the conversation. All of them just use the conversation. So if you start a fight with someone, it will be exactly like if you just did something else. You will explain what you are doing. If it triggers a move, then you roll for it. The result of the roll will allow the MC to evoke one of their moves, and then something will happen. But that means that, among other things, in Apocalypse World, generally speaking, enemies don't attack. Enemies usually get ready to attack. Enemy signal that they are going to do something to you, and then you do something, and if you failed, you will get damage or stuff like that. That's usually how it goes in Apocalypse World. It goes really well with the sort of cinematic feeling they, they are going for. In a way, the initiative tracker in Apocalypse World games is the GM, keeping the spotlight and moving it. Like, Uri, will you get to act? It really depends on, on the GM and if they decide to give you the spotlight. And on you, if you decide to take it by saying, oh, 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 me, 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 I know, I know what I'm going to do. Exactly, but there's the danger of people who just always say that to always keep doing their thing and leaving everyone else out, out of the conversation. Which is why the spotlight, the person who is currently acting, needs to shift around and the person in charge of the spotlight, which is the GM. The MC in this case. Yes, really needs to pay attention to this thing because there, there are no systems that do it for them. There's no initiative tracker that will make sure that everyone gets to act. We should also note the Mistborn adventure game, which has a very, very nice initiative system. And Iran, you wrote a whole review about that game, so why don't you elaborate on that as well? Yes, I'll give a link in the show notes because I've written quite a lot about this specific system and, and why I like it. But generally speaking, the initiative system in Mistborn is not, is not exactly initiative. It's about conflicts. It's all sort of conflicts. It can be a political conflict in the political arena. Any sort of situation in which you find yourself trying to defeat someone else, and the order of actions matters, even if each action takes a month to perform, you declare them by the order of your wits. It might sound similar to um, one roll engine. You declare by the order of your wits, which is um, your stat that says how quick you are, uh, how quick you are to act, from high to low, and then act in the opposite order from low to high. That is, if you are really, really witty, 
you decide first what to do, and then you are the last to actually make that happen. And why? Because you have a chance to see everyone else doing stuff and then react to it while they can no longer react to you. They've already acted. It's a weird sort of thing, but it's awesome. It makes you feel really powerful by choosing to invest in your perceptive abilities. Not because you find the secret doors, but because you actually outmaneuver and outwit your enemies. Next is Fate, and I really haven't played enough Fate to say anything about it. Well, lucky for you, Fate <laughs> is the simplest system there is, and it's awesome, and you should be playing it right now while listening to this episode. Go ahead, use your skills. And in Fate Core, pretty much skills is what lead your character forward, and the same is true for initiative. If you want to determine the order of initiative, you simply roll the relevant skill. This would usually be notice if you're doing combat or empathy if you're doing some sort of mental conflict or be it a mental conflict such as you're trying to convince the bouncer at the door to let mm. you in and he's not receptive to that idea. Now, if you're playing Fate Accelerated, this would look almost exactly the same. Except instead of rolling your skill, you roll your approaches. Be it a physical or a mental conflict, you would either roll your quick approach or your careful approach. Because the more careful you were, the more advantage you had when things got down. Do you get to change your initiative while you play? Like, for example, if I want to delay my action, do I need to keep track of my initiative score? No, it's once you roll it, it's pretty much one after the other, okay. same as everywhere. Okay. Wow, that was such a wrong statement. We just <laughs> literally spent 20 minutes explaining why it's not the same as everywhere. <laughs> okay. Now, there is one form of initiative order which I dearly love and I've used numerous times. It is called Dramatic Initiative or Popcorn Initiative. I learned about it while playing Fate. It is basically... Whoever is acting now, decide who gets to go next. Now, basically, it would seem like, okay, so we will always be the first to act. Because if one of the party is the first one, then we'll always get all the PCs working before the bad guys. And this is not always true. Because remember, if the last person to act in this round is one of the bad guys, he may decide that, that one of the other bad guys would start the next round. So a lot of time there's some mindfulness to who should be next and who shouldn't. But what I really love about this process is that dramatic initiative usually work in the sense of, okay, this is what I've done. I would really love to see how they react to what I did. Mm. Or, or I got this thing set up to help one of the other player characters. Now I want them to play and capitulate on what I've done. Now I try to track down who started the dramatic initiative thing, and I couldn't find the person who wrote about it first. If you do know who started it, uh, do tell me, and I'll add credit in the show notes. There's one last initiative system I want to talk about, and that's the one that I'm currently designing for my new system that still remain nameless. And it's very much based on the Conan uh, 2D21 because it's, uh, it's, it's a great system, as we've already said. It's very simple. But what I'm missing in the Conan D20 is the frame, again, as we talked before. I want my combatants to be able to jump on the rock troll 
while the rock troll is throwing cave around troll. the cave, cave troll, you're right, yes. Why he's you, that's, throwing... That's the famous quote. Ugh, and they have a cave troll. I, I really need to rewatch all of it once more. So in order to get this scene, I am currently trying to devise a system in which players get to act first. Monsters always react. That is, they always act immediately after someone. But instead of looking at the whole party, I'm looking at arenas. That is, for example, you might be currently in an arena engaged with the cave troll, while there might be a different arena behind the, the pillars where two hobbits are currently hiding. And the difference in arenas makes it so that we might want to focus on, on one of them first and on the other second, or the other way around. And I'm not really sure yet where that's going, but no numbers, no rolling, only decisions, probably. The one final thing I want to talk about is duels. Because duels seem to be a question of initiative. Who rolls highest, they get to shoot the other. But I'm not so sure that's the best way to resolve them. Because in duels... Usually you don't, you're not trying to create a new way for us to track from now on who will be acting when. Just need to know who goes first and that's it. The first shot, that's the one that counts. Unless you missed, of course. And then the second shot is really important as well. I bring it up because I think that rolling for initiative in order to resolve duels is boring. I don't think it keeps the tension of a duel. Seeing two people um, ready to shoot each other in the face and with their hand like next to their gun but not yet pulling it out, that's, there's tension there. There's not that much tension in rolling a die or rolling two dice in this case. How about instead we do something that I've seen lately in Undeadwood from Critical Role. There was a duel there between players. I don't want to put any spoilers, but in the last episode, two players dueled. And in order to make it cool, they did it like they did a lot of things in that specific system. It, it was a variant of Savage Worlds. They used cards, but they didn't just pull a card. They did a poker hand. So imagine how tense is it when you do a Texas Hold'em. The two players look at each other. They know the two cards they have. And then both of them draw and show at the same time when one of them already knows that they probably lost, even before they, they draw it, because they had a two and a six, and the other three cards are like, I don't know, king, a queen, and a ten. And the other player had two kings. So they, he already knows he's going to win, and the other one already knows he's going to lose. But they still have to look at each other and still have to draw. That doesn't mean that skill doesn't come into account. Maybe skill can allow you to redraw a card in secret, or maybe it allows you to draw more cards. The main thing here is don't just roll for initiative. That's my suggestion. There's also some systems that handle specific the topic of duels better. One of them would Kessel Falkenstein, I want to say is the name. It's a That's the name. Yes, it's pretty old. Yeah. It's pretty old, and they have basically the whole skill resolution thing was with cards. And if I remember correctly, there was a specific subsystem for duels in which you get the number of cards randomly selected from the deck. And you would choose red cards being attack and black cards would be defend. Mm. And if you would attack and the other person would attack, you both get hit. 
and if you would attack and the other person defend then then you don't deal damage or you subtract between the cards and if you both defend obviously nothing happened i found this to be a really interesting thing for duels uh of course we point you at our episode on opposed pc roles episode 68 uh i'll link in the show notes because whenever two pieces roll against each other, you really should think about it before you just allow it to happen. That's it. In summary, Uri, what do we think about initiative? One tend to think that initiative is all about setting the order in which the character acts in a given scene. And I think we have successfully proven that that is not the case. Initiative and the way in which you determine it really influence that feeling of dread or easygoing manner that accompanies your action scene. Like we said in the previous episode, mechanics matters. Mm. The mechanic is what translates whatever happened inside the game to something that the player can either control or be affected by. And using the right initiative system would make a big change in how your party perceive combat, how much excited they are when it starts, and how much impact they have inside that combat. And with that... It's time to take the load off. This world is carried on the shoulders of the wars. This is the part of the show in which we talk about role-playing games in all personal lives. And I would like to begin because I have very little to say, but it's quite cool. We're just finishing the last dungeon in uh, the first adventure of Hell's Rebels, uh, which is all about a city and a military occupation, uh, sort of. And... Our players faced a horrible villain, but he wasn't all that horrible. And the fight was a lot easier than they first perceived. I finished uh, the last session, the one before, uh, with a cliffhanger as the, the villain showed up, a mace in each hand, brandishing magic and announcing his name. And they were quite sure they were going to get butchered. But instead, not only did they manage to defeat it with some clever planning and good strategy, uh, also... He surrendered and, and went all <gasps> crying on them. And please, please let me live. Please, please. I just want to escape. And that was great for them. It was so much fun for them. Afterward, they were so happy that it was a lot easier than first perceived. And that's something that doesn't happen a lot. Because a lot of the time, as a GM, I feel the need to present a challenge. But it's fine if it's not that much of a challenge. And yet enough for them not to feel like it was a child's play. It was, it was a thing. It was a fight. They wasted some resources. It was, at times, dangerous. But the enemy wasn't all that clever. And he wasn't all that powerful. And they know now that it is because coming up in the adventure is the real boss. This was not the boss. Uh, this was just uh, an appetizer. Um, but it was great fun. And they enjoyed it. And that's it. That's me. One of those moments in which you're very happy because you were successful, but then you understand why you were successful and you're not as happy. <laughs> yes, I have two things to say. Number one, this week we had session zero for the new Masks campaign, which I'm starting. Yay! We just sat down, created character, decided on where our campaign is going to take place, who's going to be the main villain, and what sort of obstacle we will be facing. Mask is a game where you play teen superheroes which are not in total control of their powers and don't really know what they want to do when they grow up, etc. And having really powerful characters with very little control on their powers is an excellent recipe for interesting things to happen. 
Regardless, there's also my adventure, hey. Escaping Thelemus Lab, which is now available on DriveThruRPG. Please buy it and then wait one whole day and then rate it because you cannot rate it beforehand. Weird. Uh, apparently. Yes. A lot of people bought it and then told me, Uri, I want to rate it, but I can't. And I told them, I don't know why. And then I check and apparently you have to wait 24 hours between buying something and rating it. And do rate it. It matters so much. It increases the chances of the adventure to be seen by other people. It's really, really useful. Not just it. Go on DriveThruRPG or anywhere where you buy an RPG product and rate it. And be honest, people want to know. Want to know if what they did mattered to you, if it was good, how it can be better. So rate it and leave comments and speak your mind and open discussions. That's the only way all of us are going to get even more amazing product from the people who are creating them. And for now... The Shoulders of Dwarves is shared under Creative Commons by Attribution Non-Commercial 4. Intro and outro are by the Cliché Dio. And you can email us at show at dwarfcast.net. On the shoulders of dwarves. Stealthling. Stealthling. Like, for example... <laughs> Stealthling. <laughs> like, for example... <laughs> <laughs> Okay, okay, give me a moment.